Thank you, Tim. And I am uh, Dave Mitchell. I also work here as well, and so it's good to be with you this morning, especially on Father's Day. We're excited for all the dads, and uh, my dad is now perfect. I can declare that affirmatively. He is in heaven, so, uh, but he was a great dad on earth as well. So we're grateful for the dads that are with us. This morning we continue in a series in Romans, in Romans chapter 13. We've been going through the whole book. It's what we do here. We take a chapter and we just sort of plow our way through it. We learn, we glean, we grow, we apply. Uh, we prayerfully uh, put ourselves in submission to God's Word. And this morning, we find ourselves in Romans chapter 13. So it's not particular to anything of our calendar event, but uh, I'm going to read the text and I'll set it up for us. But it's all under this theme of living free under God's authority. And uh, the Apostle Paul is addressing a topic that was difficult for the people in Rome because uh, they didn't really like their government, they didn't like their leaders, especially those who were Christians. And he gives it to us. And this is not a particular topic that a lot of people are drawn to as well, even today, even in America. But here's what Paul says in Romans 13. He says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. So we're talking about the president on down to our city council and the police force, safety personnel. He says, For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For the rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes for rulers, are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear is due, honor to whom honor. And so we get this passage on authority, God's authority that he establishes. Let me set it up by using a metaphor, if you will. Uh, football. I'm excited that football is almost here. They're going to have their preseason games coming up here shortly. Uh, hockey was great. Overtime the other day. Wonderful, exciting. L.A. Kings. Uh, we're excited for them. Obviously, lots of you are excited as well. As I mentioned the name, you just uh, roared with, with uh, applause. Thank you. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out what icing means, but it's still a great uh, excitement to watch that. Basketball going on tonight as well. But love football because every single play could tr- transform the outcome of the game. And so I show you on the screen here two teams. On the defense that would be on the right-hand side are the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> All right. You know first hour we had two people clap for the Pittsburgh Steelers, if I can say it, uh, as well. So they're not very popular around here. But uh, on the other hand, we have the New England Patriots. And if you look carefully at the screen, the big picture up there, on the very left-hand side, wide receiver is our own Matthew Slater, number 18. Kind of a big deal. These two teams are going to battle. They're fighting against each other. They want to destroy each other. 
They want to hit as hard as they can. They want to defeat the enemy. And so there's a whole lot of this the strategy and warfare and all kinds of power that is being expressed on the field. So these are athletic, strong, highly paid, well-known athletes that are on the field. Those are the two teams. But there is a third team on the field. That third team is? The referees, exactly. And so they are the team that counts the most. The referees are not the most athletic on the field. They're not the highest paid on the field. They don't have the best notoriety of the people on the field. They probably don't have any fan clubs. Nobody clapped for the referees when I mentioned the referees. We just see them as sort of in the backdrop, sort of there because they have to be there. But we love to boo them, but we never applaud them. They're just guys that are out there and we sort of forget about them. In fact, the best thing that could happen is that we never even notice them in a typical game. When they are well known, the game is obviously not going well. So the referees, not the stars, not the applause, not the prestige, not the notoriety, but the referees are the most powerful, authoritative team on the field. Why is that? If they don't have all that, they're not high paid, they're not athletic, they're not the, the talent show, they don't go on the talk shows. Uh, nobody likes to pay much attention to. They're sort of anonymous once the game is over. But they are the most powerful authority on the field. Why is that? Because the National Football League, somewhere in the headquarters, I think in New York City, determined you will become a referee to these individuals. And when we anoint you as referee on a Sunday or Thursday night or Sunday night game, you will have all the power and authority to act. And when you act, you will live according to a book. There is this rule book of the NFL, Special uh, Official Playing Rules of the National Football League. This is the 2013. They'll have another one for 2014. And every decision that these referees make will be in accordance and in obedience to the rule book that they have studied hard to understand. Here's the metaphor transition. We're in a world where there is a lot of battles going on. Uh, there are a lot of people fighting each other. They're the good guys, they're the bad guys, and there's a war, there's undermining, we want to defeat, and we want to uh, take them on, and we want to challenge them, and we're, we, don't, we want to come out on the winning side. Whatever it is, politically, culturally, society, friendship, there's battles that are going on. But in this playing field that you and I live on, there is a third team that is still there, that is always there, that God has always had there. And they are those of us who claim the authority of Christ. And we have no authority, those of us who are followers, we have no authority in and, our, uh, in and of ourselves. We have no special talent. We have no special wealth. We have no special notoriety. We're often in the background. We're often overlooked. We're often easily put down or booed because we don't have a popular point of view. But we are like the referees in that God himself said, I've placed my son Jesus Christ upon you. I've given you his image. I've entrusted to you authority. I've given you truth. And when we act as believers in Jesus Christ, we act under the authority of God himself because of Christ in us, but we also act in accordance to and obedience to 
a book. And we call it the Bible. And just as the referees have all this authority on the field and they exercise it according to the rules of the rule book, we have all this authority that God has entrusted to us. And we exercise it according to the word that God has given to us. And as we go through this text this morning, I want you to keep in mind that much like those referees, God has placed us in this world, in this society, in this community, in this church, in our neighborhoods, so that we would be those people who stand under His authority and exercise that authority according to the way God has guided us. And that we lead people into that realm as well. That's our calling. Now here's how it plays out from Romans 13. There's some points that I want to make that comes right from the text. Verse 1 says, For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So God establishes authorities throughout the history of mankind. From all the way, the pharaohs of of the days of Egypt, all the way up to President Obama, who was on our neighborhood this weekend. God establishes authorities, and they are from Him. When Paul was writing this, they had an authority over them, and his name was Nero. Nero is famous for all the terrible things he would do to believers in Jesus Christ, followers of Christ. It was known that Nero would throw parties in his palace, and he obviously didn't have electricity, didn't have lights, so he needed to light the uh, playground of the rich and famous that would gather around Nero. So what he would do is he would gather up Christians, people like you and me if we lived in those days. And if we were not shy about our faith, but we made our faith known, followers of Jesus Christ, under his banner of authority, He would take people like you and me, He would place us in that garden, tie us up to a stake, pour oil over us, and then light us so that we would be a torch of light for the rich and famous as they gather together with Nero. Nice guy, right? That's who Nero was. And then the Apostle Paul writes to the Roman citizens over which Nero rules, all authorities established by God. That had to be a tough, tough word to read. And say, somehow, God, you you can't possibly mean that. Well, let's go through the text and we'll see how God wants to massage that as all of the counsel of God's Word continues to lead us. But he also reiterates it in Colossians 1.16. For by Him all things are created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. God is in the business of ruling over all things, whether the spiritual heavenly powers or whether the earthly thrones and dominions and rulers on this land. God's still in charge. I need to accept that. It's part of the, the, the rule book, if you will, the Word of God that guides how I exercise His authority that He has entrusted through me. second thing that we notice about this passage is this. I need to recognize the cost of resisting the established authority. That although it is established by God, there is a condemnation that comes to those who resist it. We read, Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. There's a price to be paid when I recognize that somebody is asking me to do something that is contrary to what God would have me to do. Good illustration, this woman, Miriam Ibrahim, hope you've heard about her, you've prayed for her, you understand the crisis of her life. She gave birth about a month ago 
Sudan has condemned her to death. They will cut off her head in two years outside of some divine intervention. Why? <clears throat> because she, they claim, converted from Islam to Christianity. Apparently, from her words, she's always been a Christian. But there's a price to be paid. If she said, I no longer have an allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and now I follow Muhammad, who is my now God, she would be set free. So we know there's a price to be paid. And God told us there will be condemnation for those who resist. That doesn't mean it's right or wrong in any given situation, but there's condemnation to be sure. So when do you resist? Here's where we begin to massage the truth about the establishment of authorities from God. <clears throat> I want to give you two examples of outstanding people who have resisted what God has said because they understood what it means to be a referee. They means that I am under the authority of God first and through that authority He guides me in His Word secondly and I'm going to live according to that authority in my life because He's given me that authority. Here's good example number one. Go all the way back to Pharaoh days of Moses when Moses was being born and it says in Exodus chapter 1 these words <clears throat> then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives one of whom was Shipra and the other was named Pua Shipra and Pua I like to say this if for some reason you're in heaven very soon and I'm not praying for that for anyone but should you be, should you be in heaven soon, and you're wandering amongst the throngs of followers of Jesus Christ, and you bump into Shipra or Pua, put a good word in and let them know, oh, Dave down there was just talking about you. Because they're going to be blown away. We didn't think anybody knew about us. We made it into the Bible? You're kidding me? Yeah. And at least one guy, one old guy down there, pointed you out. These are wonderful women. Now why? Shipra and Pua, <clears throat> two Hebrew midwives. The king of, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, says, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, the, uh, whatever that is and however they did that, they gave birth. <laughs> Don't make me go into detail. <clears throat> Although it is Father's Day, Anyways, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. Now, I didn't include this for the sake of time. What happened next? The king says, tell me if it's a son, kill it. They don't kill the little baby boys of the Hebrew faith. And then they go back to King the Pharaoh. And you know what they say? They lie to him. They don't tell him the truth. They disguise the truth. They're deceitful before him. Uh, they say, oh, we get to them. The Hebrew women are so strong and, and uh, healthy that they give birth and they're off and running and, and before we even have a chance. In those days, they give birth. The next day, they're out in the field picking crops. We can't get to them. So they lied to the king. And then this is how God responds. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So God, and I highlight in blue or turquoise or whatever that is, 
So God was good to the midwives. And the people multiplied. And they became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God, He established households for them. I love Shipra and Puah because they understand what we're talking about. That God, yes, established the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. God put him in place. But there is a time when the king calls them to kill the baby Hebrew boys because he doesn't want any rival kings to rise up. And they say, we're not going to do it and we're going to lie to your face about it and we're going to keep those babies alive and we're going to disobey what you've called us to do. That's astounding to me because it was very clear that God says, I love what you're doing. I'm going to be good to you. I'm going to multiply within you because you fear me and I'm going to give you the best household you could have. That's what God blesses them. I think that God sometimes, and here's my little interpretation of this, where it gets hard. <clears throat> there's, no, there's no bill of rights. There's no lawyers. There's no ACL. They don't do the will of the king. The king kills them. It's just black and white. It's the way it is. There's no probation. I think what God does is this. God puts people in authority. We may not like those authorities. You may like, you may not like. Our president, our state legislators, our city council members, you may like them, you may not like them. You may despise the rulings, the decisions. You may love the decisions that are handed down that we have to live under. But I think that God sometimes places people in that rule of authority and establishes that authority so that He then brings people like Shipra and Pua and us into a situation where God says, Now, you've been asked to do something. Remember the referees? They've got a rule book. Remember the Christians? They've got a Bible. We live according to the Bible. And when God says, I put these people in place because I want to see how you respond when these people that are in place call you to a testing of your faith to determine whether you're going to live according to the authority of the land, of the authority of the God Almighty, and the rule book that God has given to us. And Shipra and Pua passed that test and said, we'll lie to the authorities so that we can save the lives of the baby boys. And they passed the test of faith. Another good example is in the early church days of Peter and John and the religious authorities, authorities, the political authorities of that day, when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. We understand you've got authority. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We're going to keep talking about it no matter how many times you tell us to not talk about it. And it goes on to say in Acts 5, then, follow up to that situation. We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You're blaming us for the death of your Messiah, Jesus. We don't like it. But Peter the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. And what that tells me is this. When do we resist? When do we stand under the banner of the authority of Jesus Christ and live by the rule book, the authority of God's Word for our lives? There are at least two times, and you see this thing repeated over and over. Could have gone to Daniel, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, they're called to worship the God of King Nebuchadnezzar. And they say, we're not going to do it. 
throw us in the fire. God will save us in the fire. Or even if he doesn't save us in the fire, that's okay because we're not going to disobey our God. So when God calls us, he says, you need to live according to my book, my authority. Be my authority on that earth in two situations. Number one, save lives. Nothing is more important than human life. Save them. And secondly, whenever God says, do this, but the authorities on earth says, don't do that, obey God. Obey God. We're, again, the zebras on the field of play. God's authority exercised through the authority of God's word, and that authority will never be betrayed by true followers of Jesus Christ. So God has called us. He's established authority. There were condemnation to disobey the authority. But ultimately, we live under His authority and His guidance. And the third thing is this. In light of all that establishment authority, and sometimes there is disobedience to it for the sake of what God's authority is in my life, I need to pursue the good that God desires from all authority. That God places this authority over us, not just to, to annoy us and to nag us and to pass, pass more regulations and make life more miserable for us. That's not God's intent with the governing authority. But it says in Romans chapter 13, 3 and 4, for this governing authority that is today, whether it's President Obama or state legislatures or national legislators, it is a minister of God for you for good. God says, I want them to do good. What does the word good mean? It means to do things that are beneficial in effect. There is an effectiveness of benefit for you as a society because these people and government authorities, men and women, are making decisions that are of benefit for you. That's what God says I've given them to you. Not only that, but conversely, it is the minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. We're going to bring justice to this land. If a man commits murder, I'm going to bring him before the court authority and we're going to dispense authority and justice to that man, whatever the appropriate sentence. So it's that kind of a thing. If you're speeding down the road, cop pulls you over, you get a ticket. That's the way it goes. Um, that's just the way it goes. Uh, a, a quick thought came to my mind, but I self-censored. <laughs> it's for the good of everyone. There is a good that God wants to occur through the authorities of the people in the land. We need to pursue the good. So I ask myself, Dave, what is that good? What's the good that God looks for? Let me give you some examples of the good that God looks for, that God illustrates in the Old Testament, for example. We're not an Old Testament church in the government of our, of our land, but there are illustrations of what God loves and what He picks out, what He notes, what He despises. For example, God loves leaders who are humble. God took a leader in Daniel chapter 4, verses 30 through 37. His name is King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's take a time and we'll read the text. But King Nebuchadnezzar looked out at his land of Babylon, his great palace, and King Nebuchadnezzar says, this is a great kingdom that I, through my own glory, have built. God heard this proud, arrogant, narcissistic leader. And he said, sovereignty has been taken from you. And you know what God did to King Nebuchadnezzar? He made the hair on his body grow like eagle's feathers. He made his nails come out like claws. And he wandered around in the dew of the field around him and began to eat grass like a cow. God turned him essentially into a werewolf. 
And he wandered out there until he says, I came to my senses. I recognize that God is a sovereign God. I give allegiance to Him and I praise the, the God of Judaism, of the Old Testament, and I honor Him. And God says, okay, I bring you back to your palace. God loves humbled leaders. Pray that we get more of them. I'm, I could go into a rage right now on the narcissistic, proud, self-centered, egomaniacs that we have in so many areas of public office. Nauseating. And you know what I pray? I take Daniel 4 as God's truth, the rule book, if you will, referee, right? And I say, God, you see what old so and so is doing in that political office. I have specifically by name named politicians and says, God, would you take that person and do to them what you did to King Nebuchadnezzar? Take him down. Now, I'm still looking for the next werewolf that's in political office. I haven't seen it yet. But when you see it happen, right here, baby, I prayed it, all right? Because I'm sick and tired of the, of the pride. And frankly, there's a lot of pastors that are just arrogant pigs as well. And we, we should be doing that. So if next week I'm wandering in the Santiago Canyon somewhere eating grass, <laughs> well, God laid it on me and I deserved it. And just hang in there. I'll work my way back. Okay. So that's the good, the quality of the heart. Secondly, what is another good? No unjust laws. Don't deny justice of the rights of the needy and the poor. Isaiah 10, but he also repeats in Jeremiah 22. Here's the good that we desperately need in our governing authorities. And this is what you and I should pray for, vote for, promote, be active in pursuing it. The zeal of the good that God gives to us that he wants. No dishonesty or greed of governing leaders. No murder that comes over the innocent lives of those citizens. And here's this wonderful text that illustrates God's heart. He's looking at this man by the name of Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was the king of Judah, the southern tribe of Israel, 598 B.C. And Jehoiakim is just, God's just going to berate him for what he did and how he ruled. He was one of the last kings. He had a wonderful daddy. On Father's Day, he would have celebrated Josiah like crazy because Josiah, his father, was a wonderful father. But Jehoiakim fell very far from that righteous tree and fall, fell away from what God had called him to do. So here's what the text says. God says, What sorrow awaits Jehoiakim, who builds his palace with forced labor, he builds injustice into its walls, for he makes his neighbors work for nothing. He does not pay them for their labor. The stewardship of this king to abuse those employees of his land. What they would do in those days is they would bring immigrants from other lands. They would come into the nation of Judah, in this particular case, and he would force them into slavery. And they wouldn't pay them for a day's work. Now, I hesitate to say this because it creates issues. But I say this. And coming from Lodi where we used to live, there's a lot of illegal immigrants that would go and pick the grapes of Lodi, surrounding Lodi. And those farmers, and there's some in our church in Lodi, I said, we're dependent upon them to migrate through our area. They do the work. But when they do the work, we pay him a fair wage. We don't abuse 
the labor they bring to us. That honors God. Whatever your views on immigration, illegal or otherwise, when God says this to Jehoiakim, you better put a little fear in my heart that if I hire them down here at Home Depot on Edinger and they come and do a day's work in my job, my heart, my, my yard, I better pay them a fair wage because God says, I'm watching. And I care about that, God says, because all human life is valuable to me. I don't look at boundaries the way we do. God sees it differently. So Jehoiakim, what sorrow awaits you for this mistreatment of those you've brought into your land? But not only that, maybe in some ways more importantly, he says, Jehoiakim says, I will build a magnificent palace with huge rooms and many windows. I will panel it throughout with red fragrant cedar and paint it lovely red. God says what sorrow awaits the governing authority that abuses the money of the citizens that they had entrusted to the governing authorities and they use it for their own self-pleasure, their self-aggrandizement. And uh, God says what sorrow awaits a leader like that. And we've got so much fraud and waste, it's just sickening. And God says, I'm watching. I care about that. I watch that. But a beautiful cedar palace does not make a great king, he goes on. Now your father, Josiah, one of the righteous, most righteous kings there was, also had plenty to eat and drink, but he was just. And he was right in all of his dealings. That is why God blessed him. He gave justice and help to the poor and the needy. So should we. We should provide in whatever healthy, God-given way that should be. Everything went well for him, God says. I provided for him when he did those things. Isn't that what it means to me, to know me, the Lord says? But you, you have eyes only for greed and dishonesty. You're murder. You murder the innocent. The New American Standard Version says you, you shed innocent blood. You oppress the poor. You reign ruthlessly. God says, I care about that. I watch that. How do you treat the most innocent lives out there? How you treat them means lots to me. And I bring sorrow upon those that mistreat those who are the youngest lives, who shed innocent blood. And I'm speaking now of unborn children. God says, I care about that. I watch that. I watch you treat babies terribly. They bring them to the altar and they would be sacrificed. God says... What sorrow awaits those who do that? And dishonesty. Your eyes only for greed and dishonesty. I am so up to my bald head with lying politicians. From the highest offices of our land, we've been lied to. And I'm sick of it. Because I think God says, I care about that too. Don't deceive your people. Be honest. Be truthful. Those things God cares about. That's the good that we want. And I say, man, don't vote for someone who lies. Don't vote for someone who kills unborn children. Don't vote. Don't put them in office. Don't be an, don't be an accessory to those activities. And that means that therefore you and I, when we vote and when we pray and when we are involved in our community, and we should be in our community, we should run for office. Some of you should be in office. You should be up there in the leadership. You should be that humble leader, that model for the rest of us. Do it. Go out there and do these things with this goodness that undergirds it. And let it be an exercise of righteousness for God's sake so that you can bring the good that comes to us. And those of us who don't run for the office, 
we pray for you, we support you, we honor you, we respect you. That's the good that God calls for you and me. We live righteous lives under the authority of God Himself by the book of the Word of God, our rule book as a referee of God, that we live it for Him. That's you and me. That's our calling. And I fear that so many of us go to the ballot box and it's coming up this fall. I fear that so many of us come to the ballot box and we don't have a clue what we're voting on or others of us, we just don't even go. And then we end up with consequences of a lack of good, if you will, of these things that God says I care about very deeply. This isn't just an Israel thing. We're not turning us into a theocracy. I'm just saying these are values that God has. And He noted them as an illustration, application for us today. Now, Samuel Adams. What comes to your mind when you think of Sam Adams? Beer. God bless all you wonderful historians. Yes, beer. You know, today's Father's Day. It actually crossed my mind. Would it be interesting if every dad comes in and we hand you a Samuel Adams beer? Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be the talk of the town? Wouldn't that be my last Sunday here? You give me a little farewell tomorrow night, you know. See ya, loser. Uh, anyways, no, we didn't do it. There's always the two reasons why I try not to do stupid things. Number one, this is a Sunday morning service. It's worship. And number two, I need this job. And so, but Samuel Adams, here's the Samuel Adams I wanted to talk about. He's a wonderful man who preached and lived the good. Now, he did make beer. It's okay. Um, anyways, I'm not going to gloss it. But I love the things that he did. Samuel Adams, you didn't know. He was considered to be the father of the American Revolution. Now, that was way back when we battled against Great Britain and found our freedom from the taxation and the rule of the king here in our little community of the colonists. Samuel Adams also was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. He was the key man behind the Boston Tea Party. He was the original Tea Party guy. and I mean, literally, he was the Tea Party guy. So he was instrumental. Thomas Jefferson said of Samuel Adams, he was probably one of the most instrumental leaders in the formation of our country and the freedom that we now enjoy. So that's Samuel Adams. So when you see the beer, think about him. Here are some of the things that Samuel Adams said. This is the good. This is an illustration of the good that we want in the governing authorities that rule over us. For example, he said, while the people are virtuous, they cannot be subdued. Virtuous, character. But once they lose their virtue then we will be ready to surrender their liberties to the first external or internal invader. As soon as we break down the moral fiber of our laws and our land, the character of, of what God has called us to be, we're going to lose our land. He also said this at the formation of our country. The right to freedom is the gift of God Almighty. The rights of the colonists as Christians may be best understood by reading and carefully studying the institutes of the great lawgiver, the head of the Christian church, which are to be found clearly written and promulgated in the New Testament. He's not turning us into theocracy. He's not asking us to be a Christian nation. He's not making Jesus Christ the Savior of everyone, whether you want him or not. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, as I would say, I go back to my original metaphor of the football team and the referees, that he understood that there is a moral fiber of truth that should guide us. And as long as it does, we're a better nation. And there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong that should guide us. 
He said, nothing is more essential to the establishment of the manners of the state than all persons employed in the places of power and trust must be men of unexceptional characters. Wow. Like, I never hear that anymore. And he illustrated it with this. I found this other quote from him. He says, He who is void of virtuous attachments in private life or is very soon will be void of all regard for his country. There is seldom an instance of a man guilty of betraying his country who had not before lost the feelings of moral obligations in his private connections. Look at the way they write. It's kind of like, what is he saying? He says, before Dr. Benjamin Church Jr. was detected of a holding a criminal correspondence with the enemies of his country, his infidelity to his wife had been notorious. I wish if there's anybody running for office and they're currently committing adultery, we need another Samuel Adams to point them out, just like Benjamin Church. We need some name callers out there. Because I'm tired of people who lie to the person they say they love the most. How do I know that they won't lie to me? These are the goods. Now, this morning, this morning, at 6.30, I was having my private daily devotions watching ESPN Sports Center. (laughs) Because I believe in the full character development. Body, mind, and soul, right? This is my body part. Our body... Anyways, so I'm watching ESPN Center, and on pops one of their talking gurus about football. And his name is Mark Slariff. Mark Slariff may not be a familiar name to a lot of us. Mark Slariff played 12 years in the NFL, played for the Washington Redskins, Denver Broncos, and uh, a great player in his own right. So they said to him on this Father's Day, "Tell us about one of the things that your coaches taught you in the game of football." So Mark thought for a moment and says, oh, yeah, you know what? I remember in 1989, it was my rookie year, he says, I was drafted out of Idaho, and I wasn't expected to even make the team of the Washington Redskins. But I wanted to be the rookie of the year. So he gets on this, on the Washington Redskins, and he's sitting there in one of the first team meetings, and there's a lot of buzz going on in the team meetings, and in walks their coach, Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs walks in, and it's just the room became quiet. So Mark says, I'm sitting there in the front of the room, I got my notepad out. I'm going to take copious notes of everything that Joe Gibbs says. He's he's a great coach way back in those days. Now he does race cars, NASCAR. But in those days, he was the big coach of Washington Redskins. I want to write down everything he says. So Joe Gibbs gets up there and he says this. He says, men, you got three priorities. Number one, your first priority is to God, to live for Him. Your second priority is to your family to live for them. Your third priority is for the football team. And Joe Gibbs says to Mark, says, Mark, and to the men, if you don't get the first two right, God and family, you'll never make a good football player for the Washington Redskins. If you don't get the first two right, you can't do the third. And it's much like what Samuel Adams is talking about. If you don't get it right with God and His authority, you don't get it right with your own family, then what good are you in the third realm of priorities. And it's amazing to me as I was watching Mark Slareth talk about this. And these are talking heads and they're very authoritative and they're very big TV and professionals and slick and all that kind of stuff. Look good and everything. Well paid. But as Mark's sharing this, this goes back to 1989. 
He's reciting what he heard in 1989 as he's talking about this on public TV. Mark Schlereth begins to break down. He says, man, I get real emotional when I talk about that. Because when Coach Gibbs told me that, it had such an impact. It's changed my life. It's changed my life. And it still hits me. It still hits me so hard when I understand those priorities. That's what we need in the governing authorities of our lives. Men and women who understand what that's all about. So that we discern to do the right thing. And I finish with this verse. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to honor. When I understand the authority of God, then I discern these areas of my reflection and my application of what it means to be a good citizen of the land. And I discern that, yes, there are taxes that should be paid rightfully and honestly. There's custom. There are things that have to be paid beyond that. But there's fear and there's honor to those as well. That God has established again, under His authority, according to His Word. And then Jesus, when He was dealing with this whole issue, He was challenged by the authorities of that day. And He says in Matthew 22, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? You know, Jesus did not pull punches with these authorities. Show me the coin used for the poll tax as they tested Him on His allegiance to the governing authorities of that day. And they brought him the denarius, and they said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, It's Caesar's. And they said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God. And so God says through Jesus Christ, He says, Look, I understand that there are things that the government should have allegiance to, but there are also things that God should have allegiance to. And Jesus was wise enough to understand and distinguish between the two. And we need to be as well. And now let me illustrate it, because as guys, you walked in, you were given a coin. And on that coin are two sides of bits of information. The one side, you see what is the Jerusalem cross. And the Jerusalem cross is described in the digging deeper in the back side. It could represent the four Gospels. It could talk about the five wounds of Christ. But it's symbolic of the spiritual realities of God's Word and the person of Christ. And it says on that, In Christ I am strong, courageous, loved, and holy. And God says, I have given you those things. I ask you to live according to that standard. And then you turn the coin over. And the back side of the coin says, Conformed to the image of His Son. I am conformed to the image of His Son. It's not, I want to be, I hope to be. Please let me be. But in Jesus Christ, as I believe in Him as my Savior and Lord, I am conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And it comes from Romans 8, 29. And you look at the coin, it's sort of a mirror on it. And I wipe my fingerprints off, and I look at the little blurred image in my face, and I frankly look better blurred. But as I look at that, it says that I am conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And the image that is on the coin represents the value of of that coin. And I have value in Christ when He is my authoritative Lord. And I live according to His authority, bearing His image, because I'm conformed to Him. And I invite the men and the fathers especially to pass that on to those that are around us, to our community, to our children, to our extended family, that we live under that authority bearing His image, because it's there. We are the one conformed to Him. Like in the play of field of a football, I'm under the authority of God, by the Word of God, to guide me for the good of those around me. As I go to prayer, I'm going to invite you to come up here and 
have this coin, reflect on it, how Christ is conforming you to be more like Him. But also take the elements, the bread, the cup, it symbolizes the blood and body of Jesus Christ. He is the one who sacrificed everything so we could be like Him. And that's a great gift. The offering buckets are there as well to give and contribute. We have a prayer area over here, the prayer point, if you'd like to have someone pray with you to become more like the conforming of the image of Jesus Christ. We'd love to support you in that because the Spirit of God makes that happen. So let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you that you have given to us an opportunity to be reminded of some of the basics that you have invited us into as far as our government, our leaders, and who we should be and how we should conduct ourselves. God, help us. Help us to be those that pursue the good, the good of just laws for the needy and the poor, of honesty, of selflessness, of saving of lives, both literally and spiritually, that, God, we would do right by you and represent you well on this earth for as long as we have. Thank you, Father, as we ask for your strength to make it happen. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.